This is Task Force N Radio, and I'm its host, John Crotech, advocate for humankind, education, and commerce. We are on a mission to create human healing on a massive global scale and to tell the stories of people who have dedicated their lives to making our planet a better place to live. Our guest for this episode of Task Force Zen Radio is someone I met just recently at the PodFest Multimedia Expo in Orlando. Her name is Shay Sparks. I got to tell you, she's amazing, and you're going to love her story. Being an overcomer of abuse, addiction, depression, well, doesn't that sound familiar? Anger, low self-worth, being a bully, and being bullied, Shay Sparks has taken her own personal traumatic experiences and transformed her life into a treasure. And I, and I got to tell you, when, when you meet her in person, it is like a treasure. It's like you're opening up this chest and all these gems just spill out. We had an opportunity to have lunch a couple of times. And uh, she also gave me her book, How to Get Your Voice Back, with a signed little inscription at the beginning. Very special. Thank you very much. And uh, I love it. She's a speaker, a coach, and a podcast host herself. And what Shay does is she's on a mission to empower other trauma survivors to not only overcome, but to invest in themselves by peeling away the layers of the onion that we are and to heal. Then she guides them to break through fear by transforming their trauma into treasure in order to find their true purpose in life. It's nice to see her. She's out in Kansas City. You know, and when I when I first met Shay, she was wearing a Kansas City Chiefs shirt rather proudly. You could tell like it's as if something like the sky had fallen. But uh, it was awesome to see her in that shirt. And, uh, you know, thanks to the Kansas City Chiefs. And congratulations to that. Anyhow, I'm getting off on a tangent here. This is your story, Shay. I'm humbled and honored to have you here on Task Force Zen. Good morning. Good morning, and uh, thank you, John. I It's an honor and a pleasure. Completely humbled to be here, and I'm so glad we just connected immediately as soon as we started talking. Yeah, we did. It was. I remember you were asking some questions. You were at the Military Creator Con, which was the, new this year, and I know that you were with Bunker Labs out in Kansas City, and you asked a few really great questions. And I think that's how we became attracted. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's awesome. But uh, it is early out in Kansas City. She did manage to get up. We've worked through some technical difficulties already this morning, but it's working. And, you know, tell us, let's go back. Let's go back to your childhood. And I know you relayed some of that to me, but, you know, let's tell everybody out there listening. Tell us about your household and what it was like growing up. So I grew up in a a house that I call church goers, not Christ followers. And so to me, that really meant looking back, of course, as a kid, I didn't really get the gist of it, except that part. I did understand that there was definitely something different about Sundays going to church. But then the rest of the time, I kind of say that my dad was kick the cat mentality And what do I mean by that is he was really amazing, great friend to everybody else in the community. And then he would come home and, you know, be not a nice guy to the rest of us, to the family. And I just really felt like at a young age that I was daddy's little girl. And then at some point it all shifted. It all changed. Um, He didn't even speak to me. And my brothers were older than me, and so they had um, 
been kind of let loose to, as the phrase goes, boys to be boys. And so they had pornography on their walls. And so as a young girl being exposed to that, I mean, it totally changes the, the brain uh, of a young child. What I now know is it actually causes trauma in the psyche of children. And now, because I've, I've you know, done the research, I've done the work, I've, I've talked with a psychologist and psychiatrist on how trauma works in the brain, especially when you've uh, been experienced it and your brain has not had time to recover, which is different for everyone just how that affects you from a young age all the way up to adulthood until you really decide, like I said, to peel away the layers and heal like you've done, John. Well, you know, it's interesting you say, thank you. You know, we, we're all on this journey. I call us trauma knots. But do you have any, re- do you know why maybe it shifted with your dad? Was there anything going on in the family that may have caused you from being daddy's little girl to the cat that, you know, that he would kick? Um, so I feel that, you know, nobody's ever admitted or, or, you know, he's gone now. So he, but he never admitted I would ask and he would never say, I just kind of feel that, um, that's when probably the affair started Yeah. over my mom. And to be honest, now looking back, I really attribute it to when he was de- drafted into the army to go to Korea right before uh, the Vietnam War. Yeah. And I think he felt like he didn't have a choice and he lived his life waiting to die. And I say that because him and I just had grown so much in the last five years of his life that we became so close. And even though we didn't have those kind of uh, conversations to to dive in and heal how he actually felt, because he would never tell me. But to just to to empathically understand where he was coming from, my dad was always kind of a depressed person. Yeah. And um, a, a kind of a negative self image of himself, even though he portrayed um, a very narcissistic, almost a bully type of personality. I think it was overcoming, I mean, masking the, the actual insecurity inside. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, you've raised a, a lot of, I know there's a lot of layers here we can talk about, but, you know, you raised a couple of things. The mask, and, you know, we'll get back to the mask, you know, because we've all worn them. And sometimes it's hard to take that mask off because we really don't want to, uh, we really don't want to be vulnerable and expose that person who has been wounded. You know, I know that you, you experiencing that with your dad, you know, that's, I think when you go inside, what happened to me is a whole different ball game. And that's when I went inside, but I loved what you said about doing the work Mm. And what's interesting about that, and then I'm going to let you expound on it. But, you know, there's so many books out there saying how easy this is. And, I, and I, you know, we can walk there together. You and me, we can go down to Barnes & Noble and go through the self-help. And there's, there's a lot of people out there saying how easy it is to just change your mindset and then you got it made. And I just, you know, God bless all of those people and all those authors that I really think they're trying to make. But, but you know, g- let's get real here. Doing the work is extremely difficult and you have to be consistent. So what do you think about that? Well, I completely agree with you 100%. Doing the work is something that you have to be fully committed to in changing who you think you are. Right. We go through life being 
jaded by the experiences that we've had. And that creates this whole mindset of fear, of negativity. And so we make up stories of what we think other people are thinking about us or even talking about us. And, you know, maybe as a young kid, in fact, I could probably look back and think my that that disconnect from my dad at one point somehow was my fault. Yeah. You know, you know, and to think about how as as parents, just one thing that they shift with their children can completely screw up their brain, for lack of a better term, in a way that they'll never understand because they can't exp- a child can't explain it. And the adult is so wrapped up in their own self, they're so self-consumed that they don't even see that that's what they're doing. No, absolutely. You're correct. I used to think, you know, and we've talked about this, but, you know, my parents gave it their best shot with what they had. And, and, I, and I can see that. But they yeah. one thing that they never, neither one of them did, of course, my dad's gone now, too. My mom's still alive. But one thing that they haven't done or never did, he didn't do it or, and she hasn't done it, to reach deep inside and to make those changes. You know, there's so many things we can go back in our lives. And, and you know, my dad was a bully, too. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen when he got home. And of course, we were always manipulated by mom. And I'm not trying to bust her out, but oh, when dad gets home, you're going to be, this is going to happen to you. And so there was this fear. Right. You know, and in our house, probably not a lot like your house, yes. there was always this fear. And you know, what child wants to live in fear? You know, right. it's all about security and being loved and being nurtured. And, and I got to tell you, it was scary in my house. Looked great on the mm-hmm. weekends and on paper at church. But during the week, it was it was um, I don't want to say it was a house of horrors. I still have my teeth and I did get my education. But, oh, my goodness, it was it was very, a very scary place. Same here. I mean, it was very much uh, just like what you explained. And back to your point about doing the work, I had to do the work to be able to use the word abuse. And I was in an abusive relationship for 12 years in my uh, early 20s. And I got out of that and I couldn't even comprehend that what I went through was abusive because of what I had grown up in. It was so familiar. And it wasn't until I uh, did the work, I read, uh, read books, I went to counseling, I hired coaches, and I would just take it like you talk about deep inside, really took a good look at what I was doing as a human being going forward, how I was showing up in the world and went, wait, that's why I do that. That's why I don't tell what my feelings are, what my true thoughts are, because I'm scared to death to actually be vulnerable. And at the time that I said that, which was probably like 11 years ago, I couldn't even say the word vulnerable. I would, blah, 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 you know, just kind of screw it up, mumble it through because it was so terrifying to me. Because I never saw it. I never saw vulnerability in my household. Wow. I mean, it's like I'm looking at my sister here. Do we do we grow up in the same household? You know, I know. Right? <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, and that's the law of attraction for sure. And, and one thing that you just made what dawned on me, and I think that's based on what you just said, you, you know, we stay, most people stay in these comfort zones, but we're uncomfortable. And almost yeah. it's, it's a serious, serious paradox. And, and and we don't have the courage or the bravery or the skill sets, maybe, to step outside of that comfort zone and be fearless. Yeah. And you have to be fearless if you're going to improve, don't you? Absolutely. 
And that's the thing when I was talking about how I figured out that my dad was waiting to die. That's what I figured out, that I was just waiting to die. I was totally uncomfortable and miserable in that relationship and in my life. However, it's all I knew. I didn't know that I had a choice. So remember when I said that to, about my dad, about being drafted, he had that mindset. So he passed it on to me. I didn't have a choice. I made my bed. So I had to lie in it kind of. That's the person, even though we weren't even married, I had to be in that relationship. And honestly, as bad as it was, I'm actually glad it was him and not someone worse because I learned so much about my own family and started to shift how I spoke to them. Hmm. And that is literally how I transformed all of that trauma from childhood and from that relationship into a treasure because the way I shifted is that I started to love my dad like I needed to be loved, whether or not he gave it back to me. That's beautiful. You know, wow. You know, we, we smoke and we joke about being in the same family, but you know, I, listening to you again, you're giving me all these great tidbits. It's almost like history repeats itself. Traumas repeat themselves, you know, and I read somewhere and you just, you know, you reinforce the thought, these ancestral traumas that just, you know, you kick the dog in one family, that boy grows up to kick the dog. His son right. grows up and it goes on and on and on and kind of like sexual abuse type trauma. You know, and especially in foster care, children that I've, you know, adult children that I've, anyhow, adults that I've talked to who are children in foster care. It's almost like those types of things repeat themselves over and over mm -hmm. and over again until somebody like yourself stands up and goes, this is not happening anymore. I need right. to stop this nonsense. Yeah. Can, does that I, resonate? I completely yeah. agree with you. Yeah, definitely. It's hereditary, right? It's just like diabetes. Or alcoholism, trauma, abuse is hereditary. Absolutely. So, you know, something I never talked about, and I never, you know, just on this is the first time, you know, there's been times in my life where I was a bully. You know, not only to my uh, my wife, you know, when we were going through when I was dealing with that TBI, but even I can remember now, and you made me think about this. Gosh, yeah, you, you're making me think about all kinds of stuff. I feel like we're in a session now. But I remember a time a couple of kids that I bullied when I was like in junior high school. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out why they didn't like me. Well, maybe you're being a jerk and you're bullying them. You know, it's weird. But so. Well, that's yeah. what I did. I and that was the age, too. I was riding the bus back and forth to school and I would just find gratification in making these younger children cry. And it was because I was hurting. Yeah, I needed to have some sort of control because I didn't have any control at home. And so I acted out. Yeah, that's brave to admit that, you know, and the thing about bullying, you know, we've read about it, how, you know, it's led to the suicide of some people. I mean, that's yeah. serious. That's serious trauma. Definitely. And I honestly, at right before I was doing this, I had my own suicide thoughts. I mean, I had broken the a bone in my knee that caused such extreme pain that, you know, pain meds, there was only an, one option back then and they didn't work. They made me nauseous. I vomited all the time. And my mom's thing was just stop taking them. Yeah. So I, I was so depressed and suicidal myself that again, at that age, 
your brain is not equipped or uh, in, mature enough to understand any of those thoughts. No, you're absolutely right. And, and it's almost, it takes building blocks. You got to go back and you got to reconfigure the genetic codes that are embedded. And, you know, yes. we, I'm not trying to act like or sound like a scientist, but that's what happens. These traumas get embedded in your genetic code. Then you have to rewire. Yeah, it gets into your DNA. Yeah. And that's, you know, and then what happens, and you mentioned the, the abusive relationship you're, you're in, you, you spend your life recreating these situations and you put yourself in an uncomfortable comfort zone. And then you just continue on with the type of behaviors and negative self-talk that, that doesn't get you anywhere, you know? Oh yeah. And he was, it's interesting because he bullied me when I bullied him right back. So, um, because I grew up in the house that I grew up in, you know, I had two older brothers and we were all acting out, right? So they didn't like each other. So they would beat up each other. And then I would go to be the quote unquote peacemaker. Right. And they would turn and beat me up. So there I am, a little girl having um, boys beat me up. So I learned how to fight back in uh, a girl-ish way. And so then I'm I'm faced with this guy who's pushing me down and choking me. And I'm fighting back the best I know how. However... At some point, it clicked in my brain that I needed to stop hurting him. I don't think it ever clicked in his brain. I was literally expecting for him to kill me. Yeah. I mean, and he probably could have but had you not gotten out of the situation. Yeah. You know, it's terrifying, you know, and, and, you know, one thing that I'd have to say about my childhood and even with as great as the way it looked on paper, I just described, you know, in, in the public, it was terrifying. You know, and isn't home supposed to be a place of security for our kids? I assume so. I didn't have that either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, yeah. they, you know, and, you know, just putting food on the table. I mean, I'm very grateful for that and, and taking right. us to the dentist. And but there's more to parenting. You know, this not that this is a parenting discussion, but there's more to parenting than just, you know, the lower end of that pyramid. Oh, for sure. And I, I love how, you know, that's definitely a subject that we could get a, get on is parenting, especially from uh, my point of view is as a non-parent, uh, I am the great aunt of all my uh, friends' kids, but I don't have any children of my own. And I love them, the ones who um, call me Auntie Shay Shay. <laughs> I love them the way that I needed to be loved at their age. And I didn't, re again, you never realize what's happening to you when it happens. I was 16 until my mom gave me a hug and told me she loved me. 16 years. She never did that. Wow. I was 18 with my dad. Wow. You know, gosh, I swear we're in the same family. <laughs> I, I never heard. Yeah. I'm not a victim. You know, it doesn't define me. But uh, it was very right. rare to hear the word love. I get it. And, and isn't yeah. love like the that's like the that's like the magic word to anybody, whether you're a child or, you know, a young adult, an older adult, you know, middle age what love. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So when you have someone who's like love bombing is what the, the term is called, that they like shower you with affection and attention and within, you know, like the first month they're telling you they love you. You're like, Oh, finally, somebody loves me. And it's it's so toxic. Oh, my gosh. You and, know, remember the song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Gosh, that was my yeah. that was my life. 
right. holy cow. Right. right. And, you know, as behaviors as children, you know, especially teenagers and young adults, we we have a tendency to uh, do things for love and, you know, for for love, thinking they will be accepted and loved on. And, you know, we're doing things that we probably shouldn't be doing. No, I, that's thing. another show, too, I'm for sure. Exactly. You know, like, that's for late night, like midnight or something. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. But uh, so let me ask you this. You know, you titled the book you gave me, which was a precious gift. How to get your voice back. Well, you know, how did you get your own voice back? Tell us about that journey to this book. Well, so he was in a car accident. My ex-boyfriend, uh, he was in a car accident. And he, uh, within the first week, I started Christian counseling. And I started reading two books called, one was called Boundaries. And the other one was called Women Who Love Too Much. And even though it says woman in the title, it is directed at men too, because men do this because I meet them over and over and over again. We get into codependent relationships. Hmm. So boundaries and women who love too much were instrumental in me uh, shifting, number one, shifting and seeing that everything that I had went through was leading up to, it's almost like a script in a movie, you know, you get reach up to the, the, the climax. And that's literally what happened. Like this thing led to the next thing led to the next thing in my childhood and led me to that relationship. And so then I was like, okay, now we just peel away all of that stuff that happened and get to the core of who I really am. And that's literally the, the, what I started thinking about is what is it that I don't know that I need to know in order to move forward? Because I knew what I knew, right? We all know what we know. But we never really think about, typically we never think about is what is it that I don't know? And so for me, it was really about, you know, like we've been talking is is healing and, and what do I need to see about myself? And I took probably about six months after all this counseling and stuff, I really made a choice to on a regular basis, and that could have been weekly or monthly, to take a step out of my comfort zone in a good way. You know, we talked about being uncomfortable in the comfort zone, but this was being um, a step out of the comfort zone in a positive way. That's awesome. And so that led me to doing many different things that most people won't even think about. And one of them was taking a martial arts called Krav Maga. Hmm. So are you a black belt? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, but you, yeah, there's something spiritual about that, I think, too, isn't it? Oh, totally. Well, in Krav Maga, for those who don't know, is Israeli defense fighting. It's hand-to-hand combat. And if you've been in an abusive relationship, more than likely you needed to know hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. And so it was extremely trauma-releasing therapy is the best way I know how to describe it. Nice. Because you are fighting another person. Now, mind you, it's not like MMA when you're first beginning. I mean, you're go out walking through these things. I call it dancing. You were walking through these things on a um, very slow motion at first. Right. So we were, they were teaching us the dance steps, even though it's not dance, it's self-defense, right? Right. And then you had to recreate that with your partner. And I attended a carjacking weekend and they had us have using fake guns, point the gun at our partner and we had to disarm them, take the gun out of their hands and get it pointed back at them. 
Wow. And my hands were literally shaking. His hands were literally shaking because it was just so much muscle memory. That's one thing that as trauma people, we uh, people who have experienced trauma, we forget that our cells in our body have muscle memory. So do our cells. So if you were recreating something that was done to you, it's likely to trigger a whole lot of emotion. So on the third day, once it was over, I drove home and I was literally heaving in tears. So much grief was coming out. So much trauma was coming out. It was like the most biggest release release I've ever been through. That's one of those breakthrough moments. Um, oh, incredible, yeah. deep wounds released uh, breakthrough moments. And that was when it was like people say, oh, I felt like I got a, a ton of bricks lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I got a mountain lifted off of my shoulders. Yeah, that's heavy. Yeah, it was that heavy. And I felt it was extremely that whole thing, that whole experience, especially the carjacking uh, seminar was instrumental in me having enough confidence to go, you know what? I can make a difference in other people's lives by helping them through what I went through. And that's your vision. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think that's important? Well, it's important for a couple of different reasons. One, this stuff that we've gone through, that we've done to heal is not taught in anywhere. It's not taught in schools. It's not taught in college. It's not even talked about, especially not talked about in churches. So, number one. Number two, I feel that when you share the lessons that you've learned of the obstacles that you've overcome, it ignites a spark of hope, love, connection, community in another person yeah. because they can automatically see themselves going, well, wait, if she did that or he did that, then I can go fix my stuff. When that spark gets ignited, the whole world lights up because then they go out and, in, and um, invest in themselves and peel back the layers and heal. And then they're empowering the next person. So it creates this beautiful ripple effect through the entire community or the entire world or whoever that person touches. So that's why I think it's so important. And I started to realize that as I was healing and I would share with, I, I'm a hairstylist, so I would share that with my hair clients and they would literally leave and go out and do something diff completely different, completely out of their comfort zone or have a conversation that was out of their comfort zone. And then they would come back and say, because of you, I did blah, blah, blah. That's called empowerment to the extreme, yeah. you know, you know, so somebody's listening out there. What are three things right now, Shay, three things right now, if somebody's out there suffering through a hidden trauma that they can do right now, mm. if they want help just in, in your, in your experience, what can they do right now? Great question. Well, first of all, they can acknowledge that they need help. I think a lot of times we spend, especially if you've been through trauma, you've been through suffering or low self-worth or depression, suicidal thoughts, you want to deny that you're anything's wrong. We go through life going, I'm fine. I'm fine. So definitely, first of all, acknowledge that you want help. Number two is to ask for help. And to continue to ask. So just because you've asked one person and they said no, or you went and got help from someone and it wasn't the right fit, 
be committed to continue to ask for help. And uh, the third thing I think would be keep it kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself and ask yourself, what is it that I need right now? And hopefully that's not alcohol or drugs or anything else that you could be, you know, hurting yourself with or self-destructing yourself with. But what do I need right now? Do I need love? Do I need connection? Do I need community? Especially timely in the world that's happening right now when we're going to be isolated for the next couple of weeks. If you need help or you need someone to connect with who maybe someone's um, alone and they're feeling lonely and depressed and suicidal because it seems like those three go together. The online community, because we're isolated in person, they can reach out to someone. And so they have to keep asking themselves, you know, what is it that I need right now? So I guess that was four things, but. <laughs> no, no, but it's good because it's, it's, it, it, it's like that. It's like snow. It's like beautiful snow coming yeah. down and it's a blanket. And, you know, so there you go. Admit that's great advice. Admit you've, that you need help or that you, you're looking for it. Reach out, execute it, you know, realize that you're not alone and, and just keep going. Yeah. Yeah. And be kind to yourself. Yeah. I mean, Self-kindness. Yeah. You have to. Yes. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you. First of all, absolutely nothing. We've all experienced it, and every single one of us on this planet is walking around wounded, and it's okay. And we, we've talked about that, and it's funny. It's not funny that you mention that because it's true. You know, I read somewhere where 70% of the world's population has been traumatized at least once, and up to 40% have been traumatized multiple times, where you get the stacking of traumas. And and a lot of these people, myself included, took me a TBI to shake loose the demons. But most of these people, you know, walking wounded, you know, the, the, the hidden darkness, most people we pass every day are not dealing with something that could, if they did deal with it, they would definitely live a much more fulfilled life. Yes. They wouldn't be waiting to die anymore and just surviving. They would be thriving. Yeah. So... We know you love to empower. We know the effect that you have with this golden hair you've got. You know, people clue into you and they, they just attracted to you because you exude this aura. What's your, what's your, you know, and we know you're on a mission and you're, you're very much sincerely wanting to help people get their voices back. What, where do you see yourself in five mm-hmm. years? In five years? Mm-hmm. Where do you see yourself next year? Next year. Well, it's the same. So I'll just say what's next year. So I am in the process of building online courses to talk about just this stuff. Um, I've developed a program called Operation Alpha, and it stands for Awareness, Leadership, Purpose, Hope, and Alignment to help anyone in transition, uh, help them thrive instead of just survive, especially those who are coming out of the military and going into civil, coming back to civilian life. So I see myself as that just going um, just amazingly successful so much that it overflows into um, the Voices for Hope uh, Foundation. And that is to really help nonprofits and businesses from four different people groups of domestic violence survivors, veterans, 
bullies and people with autism because they've all experienced trauma in some way, shape or form, and they need help to keep their voice and their hope alive. So whether it's a nonprofit or a business, my goal is to ultimately help help them, help those uh, businesses and nonprofits at some point. That's a beautiful mission, you know, and it's it, it does take work. It takes consistency. And I know after having met you and, and the conversations that we've had that you're up for the task. And I know you're not a quitter. Let me ask you this. Do you, is there some quote that you have, maybe your own quote or that you live by a mantra that Shea Sparks lives by every day? It's a great question too. And uh, it's funny because I ask this on my podcast and I never think to think about it myself. See, see, you need to. Yeah, I know you. I know you've got millions of them up there, but one that sticks out. Well, the one that just pops into my head right now is one that I used to say uh, when I was working forty hours a week and going to school forty hours a week and not getting any sleep and still partying and you know all that good stuff. One in my early twenties, every day I wake up and go, "What did I just do? Why am I still here?" Oh, right. So, what doesn't kill you <laughs> makes you stronger. Gosh, isn't that the truth? Yeah. And just thinking about what you've shared with me and um, what every person has ever shared with me, especially in the veteran community, especially over this past weekend, what people have shared with me, literally, that is our mission to all of us is it didn't kill us. It is to it, it was to help heal us and to make us stronger. That's wonderful. You have to contemplate that. It sounds really sweet to the ears, but it's deep. How can people find, how can, first of all, how can they get your book? And then how do they get in touch with you personally and uh, websites, Facebook? Tell us, tell us, how do we get a hold of you and the things that you're doing? Well, my website is shaysparks.com. That's S-H-A-S-P-A-R-K-S.com. And you can find uh, links to buy my book. You can find the link to my podcast, which is called The Power of Investing in People. And that's what I talk about is how um, someone has invested in themselves, overcome those obstacles, and it overflows under their family, community, and business. They can also find, uh, I have a Facebook live show called Hey Shay, What Do I Say? And because people are always asking me, what do I say to this person? And so they can find that on that website as well. That takes you to all my social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram. And you can always message me on any of those platforms, or you can email me directly at heyshay at shaysparks.com. Awesome. Well, hey, Shay, let me (laughs) just say you're a warrior. You're, You're brave beyond the average person. And I know that you're on this serious mission. You know, I, I knew at the moment we met, you're a person that is definitely helping people to empower themselves to get their voice back. Um, and also, I love to meet people like you that are not waiting to die. And you are a, a gem, the treasure that you talk about. It's real. You're, um, you're something else. And I'm just humbled and honored to have you on Task Force and uh, which is our own mission to help others. And, you know, that's kind of what this is all about, isn't it? Thank you, John. I think you're such a, a precious gem as well. And you have definitely turned your trauma into treasure. 
And so I'm so honored to have met you and to just immediately connect and, and talk and, you know, being completely transparent with me as we basically share war wounds. So thank you for that. And you're welcome. And, and yeah, that humbles me. And I, I can tell you this. I know as long as Shea Sparks is out in Kansas City doing her thing, I know that that part of the country is in good hands. And, um, you know, it's a good thing the camera's not working because you make my eyes tear up. But I think you saw me tear up once or twice. But yeah, but thank you very much. I'm the for same that. here. I teared up with you. <laughs> so. It was crazy, but it's all good stuff. But Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here. And I look forward to our next conversation. And there you have it. Shea Sparks out there empowering people, getting their voices back and helping people uh, to quit waiting to die and to live their lives. God bless you. I look forward to the next time we can talk. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Task Force N Radio. Through education, we will raise global awareness, create more balance, perpetuate human healing, and diminish suffering in our world because humankind matters. 